Welcome to Max Volume, where we deliver loud takes at ceiling decibels. This is episode 36, just a stunningly beautiful July 7th day outside. It's like 91, muggy. Took the dogs for a walk, and after 20 minutes, usually we go for 40, 45 minutes. After 20 minutes, they just kind of told me, nah, we're good, bro. And I was like, sure, sure, it's nice out, you know. I'll give you some water. Like, no, 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 we need to go home. We're in black fur coats. Like, get us out of here. So I got them out of there and came back home and decided to do a podcast. How fun. And I just noticed, actually, how little toilet paper I've used in the last four months. Like, initially, I had a 30 rack before all the madness, and I did the math. I've gone through, like, seven, eight rolls. So what was the big panic by everybody? Like, in a pinch, can't you use tissue paper as the same thing? Doesn't that serve the same purpose anyways? And, I mean, I guess I only used two or three plies per, per trip. So maybe, you know, some people are just being, you know, a little bit more uh generous with how much they're using or maybe i don't need fast food anymore maybe mcdonald's or burger king just runs through you and you need to use an entire toilet paper roll in one day i don't know i mean i don't know what people are doing and i don't think people talk about their toilet paper habits i think we need to get it out there and figure out who's doing what is someone like making a mummy out of themselves or a mummy out of their pets with the toilet paper and just abusing and using it i mean what's going on with toilet paper we don't talk about it enough let's get it out in the open but I guess, I mean, everyone was buying it because these are weird panicky times and there's no rules anymore, I guess. Like this morning I had baby back ribs for breakfast and I just wanted to see if lightning would strike me or if, uh, you know, when you were a kid, if you ate ice cream for breakfast, would your parents yell at you? What was I, was I going to get a call? I'm, I'm just messing around, actually. I didn't, I didn't eat baby back ribs for breakfast. It was just a line I heard in this dumb cartoon show called Paris, Paradise PD. And I wanted to give it a test drive, see how it was. I wanted to see what you would, you would think. Like, did he really eat baby back ribs for breakfast it's just this funny line the police chief in this show his name is randall crawford he's voiced by tom kenny who does spongebob squarepants uh voice but he does it in a more gruff guttural kind of way uh, like a mid-40s overweight guy but still still it's the spongebob voice <laughs> and he's training at the police academy because he needs to like recertify as a police uh chief and he's got tires on his feet you know from the uh, like track and he's trying to climb up a rope wall and he's like, oh, I have baby back ribs for breakfast. <laughs> and I just, I just picture that the ribs were the, are the reason why his feet swelled and why he like got stuck in the tires. And just, I don't know, just the, the defeat in his voice, just that kind of like after burp of eating baby back ribs at seven in the morning just made me laugh. Just made me laugh incessantly. I just thoroughly enjoyed it. If you want something to turn your brain off with, I mean, Paradise PD is as turn-offy as possible. It's basically American Dad, Rick and Morty, Family Guy, but 30 to 40% more offensive. It's great. Love it. And it was the mindless idiocy I needed to kind of palate cleanse after watching a really kind of impactful generational love story. And I watched 1995's Before Sunrise. It's Richard Linklater's uh, third movie. It was an indie movie. It only made it only cost two point five million dollars to make, and five it made five point five million dollars in the box office. I always like knowing that stuff. I don't know why, but like it soothes me to know how much it cost and how much it made, and it makes me happy when they do well. And this is like the definition of you know a small movie. And he's gone on to do some serious stuff. He did uh, Boyhood. He did Bernie with Jack Black. He's done a few other things that are uh, that are really good that everyone kind of knows. Uh, I mean, Days and Confused, obviously. Uh, just. He's a creative dude, and he's just kind of, he's pretty well known in the uh, movie vernacular as one of the best directors. And so this movie, I'll give you a small plot synopsis first. So here we go. On his way to Vienna, American Jesse, 
is played by Ethan Hawke, meets Celine, Julie Delpy, a student returning to Paris. After long conversations forge a surprising connection between them, Jesse convinces Celine to get off the train with him in Vienna. Since his flight to the U.S. departs the next morning and he has no money for lodgings, they wander the city together, taking in the experiences of Vienna and each other. As the night progresses, their bond makes separating in the morning a difficult choice. And just what a sweet, perfect movie for me. I mean, this is two intellectuals connecting through conversation on a perfect European night. Like, just, just sigh. My soul, my soul sighs. And Linklater has this incredible flow for dialogue. And it's just this incredible kind of harmless, enjoyable grad student philosophy discussion about existence, death, love, sex. Other movies that he's done, which are more philosophical, kind of cartoony, Scanner Darkly, Darkly and Waking Life are actually kind of cartoon uh, imagery and like dream, dream uh, scape of like real life discussions. And he's kind of got this curiosity about the internal thought process that we all have and how we generally fear discussing it with others. And why his, do- his dialogue kind of sounds like your best shower discussions that you have in the shower when you're like trying to formulate what your general philosophies are and they come out the best. You're like, man, why can't I talk like this in person? And it just, I don't know, there's something like very connecting about that because, you know, we all fear death and, you know, love is difficult and heartbreaking sometimes, but we want to put ourselves out there. We want to see another person to see us just, and these two people, they just meet unexpectedly and within an hour of knowing each other, they just want to express everything to each other and kind of take it all in and they're comfortable. And isn't that, isn't that the dream for everybody? Yeah, sigh. And it's kind of crazy. This movie is number 193 out of IMDb's top 250 movies of all time. And just for the little engine that could independent movie, that's just awesome. Like every other movie on this list pretty much is serious blockbusters and trilogy kind of stuff, sci-fi and 1950s, 1960s, classic when they were made movies that are still, you know, seen as, you know, the greats, the Citizen Kane, the Casablancas, you know, those ones. So just seeing this, I mean, this guy, when I want to, I want to add to my top 250 uh, repertoire, but most of them just don't seem fun. And this one seemed unique and I was just happy. So, I mean, this movie is widely not like really, really, really 90s. It's just like definitional 90s, which I love because I grew up in the 90s. I was age 5 through 15. So, yeah, I get it. And this was 1995, so I was 10. A little young, but I still got everything. Jesse's got this wispy goatee. He's got a leather jacket. He's wearing Converse's. He's got greasy hair that's a little too long. Just He looks like you know he'd fit right in in Seattle and kind of the grunge scene. And Celine's got this this look that I don't think has been brought back since. And you know how fashion's cyclical? This was a, just a bad look. It's just a shirt over a flowy dress with like a flannel exterior shirt. But it's just so 90s. And the movie is just them. It's just Celine and Jesse just talking every scene. And it feels timeless, lived in, momentary, and just special. It's just, I mean, every other thing is ancillary. It's almost like a dream state. It's like they're just kind of walking around falling in love in Vienna in one day. And it's just, we get to be a fly on the wall and just enjoy their conversation. And their conversations are so in-depth and so philosophical and so kind of speechy that it all kind of meshes together. You don't really pick up on one specific thing or one belief that they have. It's just the rhythm of the conversation and you see how they're connecting with each other slowly over the course of the movie. And apparently this is based on 
Linkletter's real experience. He met a girl in a toy store in uh, Philadelphia. He met her one night and they, he had to go back up to Austin the next day. So he stayed up with her all night and they tried to date and it failed. And so this story is kind of his reworking of that idea, like the movie-esque version. What if, you know, they met for one day and what if it worked? And apparently, I guess while this movie was filming, the woman who he had met, who it hadn't worked out with in Philadelphia, uh, died in a motorcycle accident. So she never saw this movie and he was hoping, you know, to show her and just to open up the lines of dialogue with her again. I'm not sure in a romantic way or in a remember when we did this kind of way, but really sad that she never got to see this movie that is so beautiful and based on her. I mean, I would be, oh my God, I'd be flattered and swooning all day if Richard Linklater wrote a movie like this for me. And I mean, Linklater really loves his creations. Like every character is charming and well-spoken. Even the minor characters that uh, Jesse and Celine are interacting with uh, during this during this night. Like they meet actors that are in this play about a communist cow and they're just, they're kind of joking about the cow smoking and just having a silly time. And you know, they're just, it just seems like they're nice guys and it just seems like they have a fun interaction. You thought you were gonna see them again, but it's just this one interaction. Or there's a palm reader who reads uh, Celine's hand and kind of talks about how they met, how she met Jesse at the, like, this is their first meeting and she called it out. Just kind of one of those moments when you're like, is the psychic really real or are they just good? Or are they cold, cold, cold reading? Like what's going on? And just, it's just fun to see. And uh, there was this one scene with a poet hobo who asked for a little bit of money if he could write a poem about a word that they give them give him and the word they give is milkshake and he's like milkshake what am I supposed to do with that but then he writes a really great poem and it kind of shows the difference between them because he's cynical about the poem he's like I'm sure that was a poem he had written but uh he just spliced in the word milkshake in there and she's like no it's beautiful and I'm sure he just made it on the spot apparently the poet hobo is a friend of Richard Linklater who's actually a poet and I'm so I'm not sure if it's intended that to say that the poet did it on the spot or if he had it, you know, preloaded. And like, there's even a kind bartender uh, at the end, Jesse's saying, I got no money. And this is my one night in town with this girl. I'll mail you some money if you could just give me a bottle of wine for her and I. And the bartender, you know, if I'm a bartender, I'd be like, screw you, buddy. Like, you're gonna give me, you're not gonna send me any money. But the bartender kind of just smiles and gives him, gives him a bottle and is like, have a great night. And so everyone's just kind of their best selves. And I love that the, this movie is kind of leaking with this energy of like early 20s something. And if you remember being in your early 20s, I don't know, just everything seems important. You have loud ideas on existence and bold declara declarations of what we want from life and the world. And you think you know everything and you think you got to figure it out. And you're just overly confident and you're, and at the same time, you're, quivering with fear and you have no idea what you're doing, but you're doing it with confidence and to have two people kind of just bounce off each other like that. There's just something intoxicating and romantic about it. And like, they just get to speak to each other while walking the streets of Vienna. And like, while they're slowly falling in love, they get to air out their shower thoughts on philosophy and love and death. And, you know, it's just a forever image that I think works for all times. It's just this, I mean, and there's no real conflict either. There's no real, real uh, issues. There's no, there's no, uh, I'm trying to think. Like in most movies, it's uh, obstacles, like giant obstacles that you have to overcome. This is just kind of a calm, joyous journey. And you get to follow along as these 
two people fall deeper for each other during such a short period. There's no fights. There's no conflict for the entire hour, 35 minutes. It just seems like a dream state. And you're not sure. I mean, I'm, I'm not sure if he's been interviewed about this, but like, was it a dream? You know what I mean? Like, it kind of feels that way. They get to watch belly dancers. They like walk down cobblestone streets. Their first kiss is on the top of a Ferris wheel, you know, as the sun's setting. They're playing pinball in a, sh- in a shady bar while drinking beer and discussing their bad ex- ex-boyfriends and ex-girlfriends in their therapy sessions. And they get to have rattling de- debates without fear of being judged. And I think also they decide early that they're not going to exchange numbers or meet again as the day goes on. So everything becomes heightened. You know what I mean? It's just this intense one evening of love for the ages. Even when he's like convincing her to get off the train, he basically tells her this is time travel that you know, 30 years from now when you're married to your husband and you're bored with him, because as we all do, uh, as we all get bored with our spouses, even in a little bit, that rather than saying, what if with that guy with Jesse, uh, you'll know that I'm just as boring because you got to hang out with me. You took a chance and went off the train with me. And it's just what a, what a charming, what, what a charming sales pitch saying like, this is time travel. Basically, this is, this is doing your 30 year in the future self a solid. And I mean, God, I would have gotten off. I would have walked off the train with him then at that point. It's everyone's dream scenario. You get to look across. I mean, you look at you're on a train reading a book and you look over your book and you see, you know, someone beautiful, your age, who seems to like look at you the way you're looking at them and you work the courage to interact with them and you find out they want to know you the same way you want to know them. And the way that they did the conversations, it just feels wonderfully like conversations you've all had before. And I guess he wrote this with a female counterpart who kind of did most of the female writing. So that's why it feels realistic. And it feels like it's a male-female interaction and not just a guy mansplaining uh, how a female should talk or anything like that. This is just a, a solid 50-50 relationship with the two of them. And I think that hiring a female for the female uh, writing is just really important and props to him. And it's just, they're both have this excitement of the first date self. You know what I mean? Like when you set, when you go on a first date, you send your representative, you know what I mean? You have all your big thoughts and have all your uh, canned stories and stuff like that. And your best one liners. And eventually they start, that starts to fade away that facade and you start to see the real them. Although the whole time I think it's real them. I don't think they're faking anything. They're just in the beginning, they're just really excited. They're both like puppy dogs, you know, just up at the window with each other. They play, I mean, and the way that they uh, talk is really, they make come up with interesting ways for them to converse. Like they play a game of truth or truth on a bus. And, you know, they talk about the last time they were in love, uh, talk about sex life, all that kind of stuff. And it's just innocent and fun. And we all remember those conversations, you know, where you finally get to know someone. Or the best scene I think in the whole movie was they mimic a phone call while they're at a booth and a bar together. And they mimic themselves calling their best friend to tell them about the other person. Like Jesse would call his best friend to tell him about Celine, but he's talking to Celine and Celine's acting as his best friend. Like, Oh, I can't believe you met this girl last night. Tell me all about her. And it's just this unique, I mean, when you're, when you're complimented by, complimented by someone in the third person while they're looking at you, you just end up gushing and you end up, you know, just exploding with joy and it's just adorable and these embarrassed smiles and 
the, I mean, the eye contact and like having the fake phone next to their ear and just kind of the silliness of it all. I don't never seen that in a movie before. And I think they should use it more often. It's just the fake phone call talking about someone in a third person who's right in front of you to themselves. I don't know. It just, it just swept me off my feet. I was just, I got a little teary eyed. I'm not going to lie. And the movie excludes sex for the most part. I mean, the will they or won't they is kind of in the background. And I think they have sex at the end on in this little grassy plain, but they don't show it. And it doesn't seem like it's that important. It's more about the connection that they have emotionally. And the sexual part isn't just, it's just not a big part of it. So good job by him. Cause these are two good looking people too. So it's like, and you usually when you have two good looking connected people on screen, you're like, come on, do, do it. You know what I mean? Like you're kind of rooting for it, but it kind of doesn't enter your mind. Cause the movie's so sweet and innocent and kind of just pure. And the fun part is the movie's finite, you know, it's temporary in the morning when everything's all done, the camera goes over all the locations uh, they went to. And they went to like a lot of locations, like 15, 20 different locations where they had conversations. And it's showing kind of the magic of the moment was in that evening. It's now gone. You know, there is the brightness of day. There's that, that kind of sepia tone. There's not that candle lit. There's not those, you know, little Christmas tree lights all throughout. It's just kind of, everything's gone. And, you know, they were the magic and the movie was magic. It's like, you got to sit and enjoy this, magic moment in time for an hour and a half. But at the very end of the movie, they uh, finally decide to break their plan to never see each other again and decide to meet in Vienna in six months. And again, that's what a, like a star jet, stardust charming idea. Just so sweet. Like not, we're not going to call or write or try to make this work, you know, long distance, which will just be brutal and torturous. We're just gonna see if we show up in six months. Like how cute. And I guess, I mean, this movie seemed like it could have been just as it is, you know, that one day kind of thing. But I guess he planned that this was going to be a movie where every eight or nine years they were going to meet back up. We we're going to meet back up with these characters, Celine and Jesse, and see how their lives had turned out. So they made Before, uh, Sun, Before Sunset in 2004 and Before Midnight in 2013. And I haven't seen those yet, but I'm excited to see where it goes because I'm in. This is a... This is a great love story. This is one for the ages. And I think even as a standalone, this more this resonates more because I don't think romance I mean romance and love are two things. Romance is that one night, the temporary, the ephemeral, the short lived, you know, the nostalgia in your mind about the best times. Love is more about what you're trying to make work in a relationship and you know, trying to churn out the day to day and see if you can exist together over time as you grow older together. And I think the romance of this one is just palpable. And I think the stories will be in 2004 and 2013 will be, you know, talking about love and what kind of love it is. But I'm, I'm a little partial to the romance. You know I mean? Just sweep me off my feet, just candlelight and roses and, you know, tell me I'm pretty. <laughs> oh, I'm getting a little teary. And it just, this movie shows how wonderful moments can occur and exist. Uh, for just a moment and then simply disappear. And it doesn't make them any less powerful. In fact, I think that increases their power. I think if they didn't see each other, if that's the way the movie just ended, I think I'd, it'd be a little bit more profound. But I'm excited to see the other ones, to see how, how their lives turned out or if they turned out well together or what they ended up doing or if they kept, kept that passion alive. So either way, it's so cute. And now I have... I get that energy from this movie because I got to make a birthday dinner for my girlfriend's birthday tonight. So 
I'm going to focus Celine and Jesse's love and affection for each other and channel it towards Selena. So ciao.